Okay, so I, I essentially already talked about, what, about why a good God would allow evil um, into the world. We talked about that, but why hell? Like, why hell? And, and this is obviously, I'm taking this whole um, really position on hell from the Bible. And, and so what we see in the Bible is, is hell is real. It's a real place. Um, and so the question, the natural question that I get is like, well, why would God create a place like that? Like, why? Why is it there? Um, and I hear a lot of people say, is it actually real? Um, and also, like, is it a forever thing? And I've heard this, or God's going to do this. And, um, and, and why would, a, if he's so loving, why would he do that to people? You know, so we have all these thoughts when it, when it comes to that. And then, and then also, like, Satan, this whole topic of Satan. You know, does Satan exist? Is he real? Demons, is that real? Are they real? Is their influence real? And so hopefully I can bring some clarity, you guys. Uh, to some of those things. But in Genesis, it's really important to go back, always to go back to the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, God looks at everything he's created and he says what? He says it was good. Okay, it's good. And so right then and there, you have to sit in that for a moment. Everything he's created in that moment, he's saying is good. Now, if he's saying it's good, it means it's perfect. Okay, so everything is exactly how it should be in creation. The, this is the original design for everything, uh, from everything working how it should. There's no decay. Uh, there's no conflict. Everything is in its fulfilled state, including Adam and Eve. And so this is what he created. This is what he's stepping back, and he's saying, it is good. But then it's really interesting. Everything's good, and then in, in Genesis chapter 3, we see something happen we see Satan in the form of a snake tempting Eve. Now, regardless of your background, your belief, you, you know this. Like, you've heard this story. And so essentially, Satan disguises a snake, tempts Eve. He's talking to her. Um, and I know you're like, man, that, there's no way that's trippy that would happen. Well, I mean, they would engage. Like, they, like everybody was interacting. Like, like, and the animals and everything. It was a totally different time. Um, and, but we ask, like, what happened there because everything was good in one minute, and then all of a sudden, Satan, who is evil, is tempting, and we see, you know, the greatest mistake ever. And so what happened there? Well, in 2 Peter chapter 2, 4, it says this. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. And then Jude, verse 6, it says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Now you're like, Steve, that's some weird stuff. Essentially what he's saying is there is a group of people talking. No, welcome. Uh, there was a group of angels, and they did what? They turned away from God. So angel, he created angels. And, and so, like, when we looked at, you know, um, that first week when I started talking about, like, you know, why would a good and loving God allow evil? He gave us free choice. 
Now, obviously, when you look at angels, and that's a crazy topic in and of itself, but you see that they had a choice as well. And you see these angels make the choice that we are going to be in opposition to God, and they're led by the lead angel whose name was Lucifer, who is now Satan. He's Satan. So he leads this charge in opposition to God because he wanted to be worshipped. He sees God and he goes, I want people to worship me. So that's his whole point. So he leads this, this, this massive group of demons. We have no idea how many. And, and they all, they turn their back on God with the sole purpose of we're going to turn people against God. We're going to operate in opposition to him. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, Jesus actually talks about in Luke chapter 10, he says how he saw literally Lucifer or Satan go down. Like, like he saw him turn into this and we see literally names for Satan. We see... Uh, He's called the father of lies. He's called the devil. He's called the ruler of this world. He's, he's called the evil one. And so they are trying to destroy and oppose everything good that God is trying to do. And they ultimately are trying to blind people as well to what God is about. So 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it says, In their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, okay? So literally, they have a goal, even right now. Like if, if you don't believe in God and that, their goal is to try and get you not to listen, not to believe, to be distracted. And any moment in your life where you may be drawn to go, man, that happened, that's unexplainable. Man, there must be a God. They're trying to snatch your mind in that moment. They're trying to take that thought away from you. They're trying to disconnect that to God to keep you away from making a decision to follow him. Okay, and, and so when, when we think about like what they're trying to do, so they're gonna use temptation, okay? Temptations from the enemy. Like, like when you're tempted to do something you shouldn't do, God's not doing that, right? They're, they're, trying, to, they're trying to tempt you to do something that's gonna harm God's best for you. It's going to harm somebody else. Um, they're going to, uh, they're going to lie. Like they're going to try and put these voices, these lies in your head about yourself, about somebody else. Uh, they're going to try and get you to lie. They're going to create doubt. They're going to reinforce doubt in your mind to certain things that are true. They're going to bring guilt. This is probably one of their greatest tools is guilt. There's so many people that are just loaded and down with guilt from mistakes or things they've done. And, and everybody thinks, oh, that must be God. God hates me. God's mad at me. That's why I feel all this guilt. Guys, guilt is from the enemy. Guilt is not from God. Conviction's from God. Conviction is a good thing. Conviction gets me to change. Guilt is designed to weigh on me, to bear me down. So the enemy is trying to load you with guilt because ultimately, I mean, the ultimate goal, you guys, and this is kind of getting like deep, but just hang ultimate goal is for you to kill yourself. Like, that's his goal. He wants to bear you and, and, and weigh you down with so much that ultimately you say, this is not worth doing anymore. Life is not worth living. And, and I mean, it's destructive. He creates fear. He generates fear in us. Confusion, sickness, envy, 
uh, with other people. I mean, man, we get so filled with envy so quickly. Uh, slander, we get caught up in just like talking trash about all these other people that we got no business talking trash about. And so, and then ultimately, if you are a Christian in this room, he wants to destroy your witness. In other words, he wants to humiliate you, okay? Um, for me, when I gave my life to Jesus, um, a big part of me was my language. I, I cussed a lot, and then I had an anger problem. And so I had to really, really work on that because I knew that he was using that um, to destroy what I was trying to live. The message I was trying to, to give to people, he knew that if he could get me to lose my cool, lose my temper immediately, nobody would believe what was coming out of my mouth because they'd be like, you're a fraud, you're a fake. That's not really you, Steve. And so ultimately, that's what he's about and that's real. And listen, guys, I don't even feel like I need to like convince people anymore. When we talk about good and evil, you're seeing evil and there's no way to just say that's normal anymore. You guys are seeing levels of evil that you go like, I can't, I can't comprehend. I mean, you read the news and there's stuff you literally can't go, I cannot believe there's a level of evil like that, that people are doing. I mean, it is sick, it is twisted. And, and so there's no way to just go, oh, that's just like a normal thing. And so ultimately we know that they're bent out on, on destroying, but then here's the scariest part, you guys, about the whole thing. It says in scripture that they can disguise, that he can disguise, this is Satan, himself as an angel of light, it says. Now, this is why that's so scary. In other words, he can make it sound, appear, look like something's of God, and in actuality, it is the opposite of God. That's why, like, you hear me say, you should read your Bible, you need to pray. Those aren't things I just say because like, oh, that's what good Christians do. Like, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. Like, no, the more you do that, the more you know who God is and the more you're able to identify if it's his voice or not. Because I just know through scripture that Satan is trying to appear and sound like he is God, but his goal is to lead you into a job, into a decision, into a relationship that's not God at all but it's going to feel that way. You're going to think that, but it's actually going to be designed to destroy you. Okay? And so you've got you've to really be intentional about that. Especially this. Especially when you're praying for a specific outcome. Guys, whenever you're praying for a specific outcome, you're literally willing that to try and happen, aren't you? Right? Like, like if you're praying for something, you're looking for it to happen. So you have to be careful when you're praying for something specific because guess who else sees you praying that prayer? The enemy. And so if he sees you saying that prayer, he is going to try and deceive you in that. In other words, he's going to try and put an opportunity, a relationship, a situation that you may be desiring to happen. He may bring it to fruition knowing that you're going to think, God, you did this. God, this is amazing. To where you don't pray about it. You don't read your Bible and see if it aligns. You just go with it. Guys, I can't tell you how many people have been in relationships with others that they were dated or even got married. And, and literally, they have been praying for it. And there that person is. So they're like, oh, this is God. No. I don't know how many people have taken jobs just because they needed a job. They're like, well, Steve, I was praying for a job and this opened up. And I'm like, so, so how do you know that was God leading that? Well, I, I told him I needed a job. 
okay? There's lots of jobs, like, and he can make that happen anytime he wants. And so ultimately, we, we always have to be asking that question um, in our lives because, like I said, this is probably the thing that for me, every time I read it, it, it gets me back dialed into being like, man, I got to be praying consistently. I got to be reading this because I want to know if this is God or if this is deception that's leading me in this decision. But we also know uh, through scripture that demons and Satan are limited. Um, they're limited in as far as like, like literally God is over them. So they can't do anything that would surprise God or derail God's plans. They don't know your thoughts. They don't know the future. They can only be in one place at one time. Um, and so they, there's limitations to these evil influences. Um, and then I want to read this because this is maybe one of the most important points tonight. In Matthew 25, 41, it says this. It says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, hell, prepared for the devil and his angels. Okay, now why, why did I read that? What did the second half there say? It says, into the eternal fire, hell, prepared for who? The devil and his angels. Now, this is why this is so important. Because I've, I've heard, man, I've heard so many people and I've heard Christians you know, um, Lily talk about, like, act like God was thinking of that person when they created hell. Literally saying, you, need, you, you should go there. And, and, and all of this. And, and what you see in scripture, you guys, is who did God actually create hell for? Who did he create it for? It says he created it for Satan and his demons. Guys, hell was not designed for humans. I want you to just think about this for a second. God looked at what he created and said what? What did he say? It is good. It is good. I want you to think about this for a second. How in the world could God look at what he created, man and woman, in his image, and, and, and as he's creating this, as he's looking at this and saying this is good, at the same time he's creating a place of eternal punishment for them? I want you to think about that. Okay, now, I don't know if you've had a baby or not. I have. Well, my wife has. And when a baby appears and it's yours, you look at, if it's not yours, you're just like, that's nasty. Get it away. But if it's yours and you see yourself in this child and, and, and you look at that, like, like, guys, it is, it's literally, I've shared this before, like, I don't cry ever. And I cried my first child. Now, the rest of them, I was like, I know this is how it's going to go. But the first one, Man, I just started like crying and the doctor's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. You know, like I'm looking at me and, uh, you know, and, and it's like this moment you've never had before. And there's like a love inside of you that you didn't even know you had. There's like a compartment in there that opens up for like the first time. And you see this child. And it's not like I was like, you know, like creating this thing. No, that was all going on. God, God did his thing. But like, you know, I played a little role. And so there is this child, and, and you just like, like and God loves you and me way more than I could ever love my child, which is hard to even comprehend because I love him like everything, but it would be like me looking at this child and thinking also at the same time, how can I build eternal punishment for this little child? Guys, when you have a child, you do everything you can 
to create an environment that they cannot hurt themselves in. You do everything. You buy stuff. Guys, you're going to buy stuff. You don't even, like, this is the dumbest thing ever. Why am I buying this? But, like, you're going to buy it. You're going to buy it because you, like, literally short of bubble wrapping that baby, you're going to do everything you can. When you think of God at creation, looking at his creation, looking at literally human beings and going, that's made in my image. I want you to think for a second the joy that he had, because he had joy in creating humanity. I want you to just think how sick and twisted it is for us to think in that moment, he's designing a way, he's designing hell with, with that in mind. And yet that's the message we hear a lot. Like that's the type of God we hear sermons about. Is that literally like, like it's almost like a gotcha. Yep, I've been waiting to send you there. Yep, your friends were right. And that's a message, honestly, that, that I kind of heard. Was like, it's like this angry God who like, man, just created hell and he's just looking to ship people off there. And you read this and you go, that's not him at all. That's not in his, his nature. It's like, hey, how can I like create this space for these people that I love, that I designed? So, so I, I think the first thing you have to understand, you guys, is that God designed hell, created hell for Satan and his demons. When he's designing and creating that, that's who he's designing and creating it around. He delights in you. He loves you. So what, what is hell? Okay, so what, what is this, this place? Okay, um, in the Bible, you will see words. Uh, you've, you've heard me see, say a few words that, regard, that are talking about hell, like lake of fire. But the Bible, you'll see words like Hades and Sheol, which those are not hell in and of itself. Those are temporary uh, places, essentially, we go awaiting judgment, okay? So if you died right now, if I walk across the street, get hit, I'm, I'm out, right? Um, my body is going to what? It's going to be mangled and then it's going to decay, right? So that's what my body's going to do. My soul is gone, okay, into the presence of God, right? Now, just as because I'm a Jesus follower, my soul goes into the presence of God, if you are not Hades Shul, okay, before judgment, and we know when Christ comes back, soul and body, body resurrected, spirit, and then you get sent. But what, what does it say about hell? Well, Matthew chapter 13, 41 and 42. Just hang with me and then I'll explain these things. It says, the Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the, it says, fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sounds fantastic. Second Thessalonians 1.9, it says, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Then Revelation 20.10, it says, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and Ever. So hell is described in scripture as this place of punishment after judgment. The imagery we see used for hell is fire, darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth, a place of never ending judgment or punishment. Um, and, and I used to think that all of that was like literally like what it was. And then as I studied more, I saw that what Jesus is, is using here as he's talking about hell and describing it, he's literally using an example that they could grab a hold of. When he's saying these things, he's speaking to the overall condition of hell. 
He's not like graphically describing every detail, right? Because if, if, you, if you have a brain, you probably like, how are, how, is it, how are they burning on fire, but it's dark? Well, it's dark fire. <laughs> Some of you literally never thought about that. So right now you're like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. It's black fire. No, okay, it's not. He's, so what Jesus is describing, you guys, is actually a specific place there in Jerusalem, nasty place. So outside of Jerusalem, there's this place called the Dung Gate. Yeah, nasty, okay? Everything, remember they'd sacrifice all these animals, all the innards and the gross stuff. Have you ever seen someone like clean it? How many of you are hunters? Like you're hunters. It's like no hunters in this room. I don't know, I don't hunt, but whatever. If you're into it, good for you, kill it, I don't care. Or save it, right? Whatever. Um, anyway, but if you ever watch someone clean a deer, like, man, that's straight up. Or, or like, I don't know, any animal. Like a farm. I don't know. I didn't grow up. I, didn't, I, I mean, I didn't, all that stuff was foreign to me. I remember going to like 4-H fairs going like, oh, my gosh, what is going on? And I'd be like, dude, how do you live like this? You know? Um, anyway, but this whole, like, area is where all of that blood, all that stuff would run into this area. And then that's where their garbage went. That was also where their waste went. Okay, all in there, in this spot. And that's what he's describing. There were fires there for the trash and everything else, maggots, all this, just nasty stuff. And so as he's describing hell, he's using language that, that he's using actually a word, Gehenna, that is that place. And he's talking about it. And he's using hell within the context to where they're sitting there going, oh my gosh. Like, that's what it's, that's what it's like. Now, um, and so when you see him like using these words, he's using and he's painting a picture of what this place is like for them. And he's, and he's literally correlating it to an actual place. And, and, they're, and they're sitting there just going like, as he's describing it, like, they're not like, oh, that's such a sick party spot, man. That's awesome. I was there last week. Like, that's so cool. We should tell people to go there. Like, it'd be so hot. Like, no, they're, they're just like, stay away. Okay, and so it's described as this place and he's using this imagery. But you guys, the worst part about hell, here, here's the worst part. And, and, and on the flip side, it's the greatest part about heaven. The worst part about hell is separation from God. That's the worst part. So you can get caught up in all these things and, and I can try and literally like, you know, try and scare you away from it and all this. But at the end of the day, let me just tell you right now, the worst part about hell is separation from God. The greatest part about heaven, I'll spare you the talk, the greatest part about heaven is to be with God. That's the greatest part. And, and so when you look at like, like when you look at heaven or hell, when you look at like hell ultimately is separation from God for eternity. And so when we think about how um, we view hell, even when I said hell, probably some of us are like, huh, whatever, like, you know, because there's, it's in movies, it's in, it's on TV shows, all these things like Satan is an actual character and you, and you like see him and, and all this. And it's kind of a joke. It's, we tell people to go there all the time and, and, and all these things. Right. And, and I started thinking about this and I was like, man, if I was Satan, what would I use as my strategy to get people to not notice? I would get them to think it's not really real. I would get them to think it's just something that, that's, that's laughable, um, a joke, 
or that. And, and, and so I, I look at like the strategy and I'm like, this is incredible because for most of us, even us in this room that would say I'm a Christian, we live like this place isn't real. We literally live like, like it's not real. We live like it's not, like, like there, it has no part of anything that we're doing. We live like nobody could be there. And, 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 and so he's one in a lot of ways in those moments when we act that way. He's using that. And, and, and I think that he's also numbing us to evil. Guys, if you do something wrong, in fact, the, a lot of you have experienced this. You did something wrong and it bothered you. If you continue to do it over time, you will become numb to it. It won't bother you. Okay? Like, like it won't. Some of you right now are doing things that if I, if I literally talked to you and said, why are you doing that? You would agree with me. You'd be like, that's wrong. But you, you're not bothered by it because you're so conditioned to doing it. You're numb to it. That's what he wants to do. He wants you to get numb to evil. He wants you to get numb to what is wrong so that you don't care. And if he can get you to not care, that's his goal. So let's go back to Galatians 3 really quick. So in Galatians 3, 1 through 7, I'll actually read this. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field and the Lord God had, that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths, okay? Tankinis. And literally in this moment, we see this one mistake changed everything. Changed everything. But, but I mean, I want you to, like, like literally God says, everything is here for your enjoyment, everything. Enjoy it. Don't touch that tree. That's it. Don't touch that tree. Everything is here for you. Everything's laid out, um, and, and, and it's all going to work out. Just don't touch that tree. So what happens? Okay? We talked about this before, right? Satan literally convinces them that God doesn't want you to have that because you'll be all-knowing like God. God doesn't want you to be all-knowing like that. You'll be your own God. Guys, every single decision you make that's wrong, that's the lie. I can be my own God. I get to make my own decision, right? Every single decision you've made that's wrong, it's you choosing, I know what's best for me. In that moment, you're making the same choice that Eve and Adam made. Same choice. I'm gonna believe this lie that I get to choose whatever I want. And, and, and we fall into that all the time. And that's what he keeps dangling out there is I have the choice, I have the freedom, and, and I buy into that lie. And we see, ultimately, that action changed the course of everything. The earth, the weather, the animals, our bodies, judgment, conflict, labor. This essentially created a judgment that you and I were born into this guilt, under this penalty. Ultimately, it was paid for by Jesus for you and for me, which ultimately then he gave us the opportunity to receive and respond to him, to that free 
gift of salvation. And so you have that choice, but not everybody chooses it, right? People choose, like, people choose not to give their life to Jesus. And we see that through the Bible, we see they are people that choose not to. They are sentenced. They are sentenced to a fate, to a place. And there's not a do-over, you guys. Listen, I would love to tell you that you look in Scripture and there's this like awesome do-over. There's just not. The ultimate do-over opportunity is salvation. It's, the, it's that moment where you admit where you're at and you need a Savior. That's the do-over. Okay, that, that's, that's the picture of a new life that God freely offers you. And I, I know the question. The question is always like, well, what about the good people that, that decide they're not going to be, they're not going to follow Jesus. What about those good people? That's not fair. They don't deserve the punishment of, of hell. They weren't given a chance like other people were that I know. Well, I have two answers for that because I'm just going to keep going here. Sorry. And in Romans chapter 1, 18 through 21, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, which have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. In other words, what he's saying is this. Creation speaks to a creator. The more you study it, the more you see intelligent design. The more we're able to see into space, the more amazed we are and the more we can't comprehend. And so he's done all these things that point to a creator. He also ultimately has revealed himself in so many ways in our lives, in people's lives, in situations that people will see even from a distance and go, my goodness, there's no way that God like there's not a God, like how could that happen? There's gotta be a higher power here. But we see what? Some receive it and others don't. He says they're without excuse. He says they're without excuse. Now, he doesn't say, oh, because they're a bad person. That's not at all what he's saying. What he's saying is they chose not to receive it. They were given every opportunity just like anybody else. You guys, God is just, all right? He's just. He's righteous. He's holy. In other words, there is absolutely nobody that will stand before God. And if they're going to hell, there's absolutely no one that will stand before him and be like, that's not fair. Nobody will say that because he's just. So, so in other words, when I will criticize God and say, well, God, that was a good person. You don't know that. Like, like no. One is you don't know all the moments in that person's life where God revealed himself to them. You have no idea. You have no idea the Easter gathering that maybe they sat in in 1988. You have no idea um, the moment maybe they had just like sitting there or, or an interaction with somebody where God was like, listen, I'm real. You have no idea the hike they were on and God's like, can you acknowledge that's me? And he's revealing it and they make a choice. Every single person will stand before him, you guys, every single person. And nobody is gonna say that's not fair. Nobody. Now in our flesh, because obviously, if I'm a Christian, I want everybody to go to heaven. In my flesh, I'm trying to be like, God, that's not fair. That's not fair. I don't have, you guys, I don't have the authority to tell God what's fair and what's not fair. I don't. Now, in my flesh, I want to. 
But we see, you guys, that, that he's, he's righteous. He's just. And, and so we have to rest in that. It's not my right to say what's fair and what's not fair. Guys, when you think about, just like, let's talk about justice. Every single one of us in this room, when we start to criticize and say, well, that's just, that's unjust, you guys all have different opinions about what's just. If we all watched um, like a certain, I don't know, a big trial, like we would all watch and, and we would have different opinions as to what the verdict should be. What is justice, okay? I mean, you see it all throughout. Guys, our nation is divided right now over what is just, right? And we all have our different opinions. So we take this tainted view that we all disagree on and then we take it to God. And he's like, what are you doing? Okay, what are you doing with that? Um, and so we have, to, we have to surrender. We have to lay that stuff down. Um, and as we try and, and make sense of these questions that we're not really fit to answer, I want to I close with this verse um, because I just feel like it's, it's the best. It says in 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He's given us time. You're alive right now. You're listening to my message right now. You're reading this. You have time. He's giving us the gift of time right now. Why? Because he's willing that all should, what, respond to the message. He wants us to respond. So he's given us time. He says, I've pointed to myself through creation. And ultimately, he gives us this choice. But here's what's so great, you guys. Like, he told us about hell, right? Like he, he shared, this is a real place. Don't go there. Like ultimately, he told us about it. He's warned us about it. If you, if you look at Jesus' life, Jesus talks about it. He doesn't avoid it, you guys. And the reason is, is like he's not trying to hide, you, hide it or manipulate you into something. He's saying, this is real. I don't want you to go there. I want you to follow me. And so we have that decision and that opportunity, you guys, to choose God. And I just want to say this. Instead of focusing on hell, focus on everything he's done to keep you out of hell. That's what you need to focus on, is all the things he's done to show you who he is. Um, and, and I just want to challenge you guys, if any of you in this room have not made a decision to follow him, and he's right now being like, I'm real, I love you, I, I want to have a relationship with you, I want to challenge you to make that decision. I've shared this story uh, before, and typically when I share it, I have a shoe with me, a huge basketball shoe. Um, my best friend in high school, his name was Ez, and he, uh, we're really, really close friends, really good friends. Um, we played uh, basketball together, and he's one of the best athletes I've ever seen. In his senior year in high school, he, high, he was high jumping seven feet. He was like one of the top in the nation, full ride track scholarship, amazing. And, and I always like looked up to him all the time. He was older than me, kind of took me under his wing and we would hang out. We would, you know, in the summer, we play basketball all summer long, every night, every day. And, and we would just hang out. We were really, really close. We both went to college, did our own thing. And, and we kind of, you know, as you do when you go to college, some of you know this, you get disconnected with certain people from your high school, right? You're just not as close. It doesn't mean you don't like each other. You're just not as close. And that was kind of our story. And then, you know, we reconnected a little bit after. And, um, and I remember one of the things that happened for me was, 
you know, I gave my life to Jesus and I, I had spent time with Ez after that and I never really shared. I never really shared. I, I, I was just like, it was just like back as, as normal, as good times. And so there was no like, hey man, I made this decision. Where are you at with God, man? I care about you. Like this has changed my life. What, where are you at? What do you, what do you really believe? I've heard you say, oh, I believe in God. What, what do you, do you understand what that means? I, ne- I never had any of those conversations. I just kept it surfacy, but we were, we were like best friends. So it was, it was, everything was good, you know? And, uh, and then I'll never forget. I get a phone call. And, um, and I was a youth pastor at the time. And I get a phone call, and it's one of my really good friends from high school. Um, and he called me and says, Steve, I need to tell you something. Um, Ez just died. And it, it, it literally, I just like, I, I just, I had to sit down. And, I, and, and literally, he was engaged. Um, he was working on a drill at this big development. And this drill had a lever lever swung around, it was icy, hit him, snapped his neck, and drug him halfway in the hole, killed him immediately. And this is like a dude that is incredible, athletic, amazing guy. He's engaged. Everything is like awesome. And just like that, like done. And it was like a month. I just couldn't sleep. And all I was consumed with was the reality that like, man, I had this time with my best friend, and for whatever reason, I just didn't want to bring it up, right? I, you know, let's just keep it cool. Let's do our thing. Let's have fun. And I, I'm not going to get that time back. Like, I'm not. Guys, like, you're in a great time of your life to have conversations with people. And guess what? If you don't think hell is real, if you don't think heaven is real, then you're not going to have those conversations. But if it is real and you believe this and you're a Jesus follower, you need to understand and you need to care that people's eternal destinations are literally on the line here by how we live. And the whole Bible points to this reality that God loves us. He's coming back for us. And he wants you to receive him as your Lord and Savior. Guys, it's the best story ever written. And it's an invitation. And it breaks my heart when I see us so consumed with us and all these other things that we're just like distracted from it, we don't understand it, and then all of a sudden something has to happen like it happened to me to wake you up to the reality that actually tomorrow's not given for you. And so guys, I just want to challenge you. I want to challenge you um, because if you, you know, it, I, I try and think every time I speak, like if he was in the room, what, what you know, and, and I made a promise to him, man, I'm going to share the gospel every chance I get because I feel like I failed him. And uh, I want you guys to just consider because it's not just this fluffy thing. Like it, it, it's real.